listening to a message from Park Springs Bible Church, located in Arlington, Texas, where we discover life in the power of God's grace and share His life-changing grace with others. Join us as we hear from the Word. to Park Springs Bible Church. We're happy that you're here with us this morning as part of our faith family. Um, if you haven't been journeying with us, we're uh, 11 chapters in to the book of Romans. Romans is one of those uh, essential kind of pivotal books in the context of the scriptures that just really fixates and focuses us on the uh, reality of, of who God is and the, the truth of the gospel, the truth of Christ. And, and Paul is writing to a church at Rome that he's never been to, but really communicating to this fledgling church about what are the essential elements that are necessary to follow Christ faithfully. And so much of it is, is making sure that we understand Christ fully, and in the process of that, also understand those areas that God is really doing some deep work inside each of our lives. The book of Romans is that. It's, it's sort of this uh, operating room, if you will, for each of us, where our hearts are on the table, and every week and week after week, surgically, the Word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is, is cutting and exposing different places as, as God is filling us with the truth of His love and the knowledge of His grace in such a way that those very things that are pulling us away from an understanding of Christ or distorting our understanding of God continue to regularly be revealed and reminded that we daily desperately need rescue. The, the gospel is not just for our salvation, but the gospel is the reminder that every moment of every day we are not only a rescued people, but we are a people that are consistently needing to be rescued. We're, we're pulled aside um, numerous ways with our hearts and our emotions. Our desires distract us from the things of God. Our attention is focused on other things. There's sin that infests our lives and draws us to places of selfishness. All of those things are just really where you and I live. And so the book of Romans is really the gospel moving into the neighbor of our, neighborhood of our hearts and communicating very clearly about the aspects of God's character and, and where he's doing the work and ultimately calling us to surrender and trust that he's the one that's doing the work. So in the process of preparing for Romans chapter 11, I started to think about children's books. <laughs> Let me, I'll, I'll help connect that train of thought. I was thinking about all these different children's books that have just stood the test of time, right? Little Red Riding Hood and Hansel and Gretel and all of those different ones, Humpty Dumpty, right? All these stories that were teaching fundamental truths that you want to make sure that you, you use to communicate to your kids about just the reality of the way the world works. And the one that really struck me this last week was Chicken Little. <laughs> Chicken Little is just a funny little story about a chicken who is just doing life as he normally does life and then all of a sudden he gets bonked on the head right and he's certain that something catastrophic has happened the story tells us that it's just an acorn but according to chicken little the sky is falling everything in the world is fundamentally changing because of this 
bump on the head and his interpretation of the situation that's taking place, he begins to panic. And so panic he does. He's got to find solutions to the problem because what we know about Chicken Little is Chicken Little knows everything. And he's going to fix whatever's wrong and he's going to find the problem and find a way to fix it. So in this panic, he makes his way to the place where the lion is. The lion is the image of the governor, the one who's in charge of things. And so in this panic, Chicken Little's running through the countryside. He comes across Henny Penny. Now Henny Penny asks the question. Henny Penny says, what's going on? You seem panicked and frantic. Sure enough, Chicken Little describes the situation. I was just going about my day and something bonked me on the head and I'm certain that the sky is falling. So Henny Penny, without further question, says, well, can I go with you? And so certainly now it's Chicken Little and Henny Penny making their way to see the lion and who do they run into? Lucy Goosey, right? And so Lucy Goosey's there and asks a similar question and the story goes on. And so now you've moved from just needing an ally in the midst of your suffering to now having a posse and Lucy Goosey and Chicken Little and Henny Penny are making their way to the lion's place and who do they meet? Turkey Lurkey, right? And so Turkey Lurkey's there and the same thing is continuing to happen and so you've moved from just one freaked out person to now a posse of freaked out people and they're uncertain about what they're gonna actually do but they're certain that the lion has the answers. And here's what you discover in the process of those things. They're not actually sure where the lion lives. <laughs> and so they're going frantically to a place that they're not even sure where it exactly is to find answers to a problem they don't really have. And who do they meet? Well, they meet Foxy Loxy. Now, Foxy Loxy is a different type of situation because Foxy Loxy is able to begin to distort the situation and use it to his own ends. And so this is what he says. Henny Penny Turkey Lurkey, Lucy Goosey, and Chicken Little. Do you know where you're going? And they're like, no, we're not sure. And he's like, don't worry, I got this. I'll take you there. And so what ends up happening? He takes them into his own house, and the moral of the story is that Foxy Loxy gets lunch, right? That, that you never see Chicken Little, Henny Penny, Lucy Goosey, or Turkey Lurkey ever again. But Foxy Loxy seems pretty satisfied with their panic. I think that that's Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. Let me explain. I believe that what Paul is doing here is indicating for you and I that each of us have a chicken little. Inside of us, there are things and events that have transpired in our lives that have somehow jolted us jolted us in a certain way where we're trying to figure out answers to, to problems that we think are the actual problems, but we're really uncertain that they are, but we've got to fix what's wrong. And so we're bruised and battered by the circumstances of the world. We've had a diagnosis. There's a relationship that's been fractured. There's a situation in our job that's insurmountable. There's a concern about a wayward child. There's fear is beginning to mount. Something has happened in our life that has jolted us in such a way that we begin to panic. And so when we panic, we do the chicken little thing. All of us do it in some way as we, we look for an ally. 
Not someone that's going to question our interpretation of the story that we feel or the situation that we're in. Somebody that's just going to agree with what's happened. Somebody that's not going to challenge any of our interpretation. Somebody that's just going to say, I'll go along with you. And so then we have an ally that's walking along with us and we feel emboldened that our interpretation of the situation is accurate. And then that ally becomes a posse. And so here's what happens. We're insulated from the reality of actually having to deal with the situation of what's really going on. That question doesn't fundamentally get answered in the chicken little story. What ends up happening is they find themselves moving through this entire story oblivious to the reality of what's happened and thinking that they've already figured it out and it actually has led to their death. And I think in some ways that happens to us on a regular basis. Chicken Little lives and breathes inside of us. We have a tendency to panic about the situations that are around us and we're pretty certain that our interpretation of what's happened is accurate. And so in the process of those things, we're trying to find solutions to a problem that isn't actually the problem. That's Romans 11. Because Paul is asking a question that he's asked, and he's done this consistently throughout these first 11 chapters, of kind of preventing or predicting what the questions might be in the church at Rome. But here's what I would suggest to you this morning. I don't think Paul's questions are hypothetical. I don't think that he's just guessing that maybe this is what the church is concerned about. Here's the question this morning. The question is, is God faithful? Is he keeping his promises? Because as I look at the situation around me, it seems like he has just completely disregarded all of the promises he's made to the nation of Israel. But I don't think it's a hypothetical question. I think this is a chicken little moment in the church at Rome. There are Jews that are there, and my guess, my assumption in some ways, is that they've had that sky is falling moment and they're panicked. They've seen a loved one who has either passed away or on the verge of death who has just absolutely been convinced that Jesus is not the Messiah. And they know because they place their faith in Christ that Jesus is the Messiah and the only way to salvation. And so they begin to panic and worry that in somehow, in some way, if something doesn't change, that this individual that they deeply love might not be spending eternity with them in heaven. And it's scary. Or they have a, a loved one that is so convinced about their religion and their uh, heritage and their ability to keep the law that they've actually just distanced themselves in a relationship with those who have come to faith in Christ. They've lost people they love relationally because they've placed their faith in Jesus. And so the question that faces them, the sky is falling moment for the church at Rome in Romans 11 is, hold on a minute. If God is not keeping his promises to the nation of Israel and making sure that all of them are saved, then God's not going to keep his promises to me. And in our hearts, there's part of it that makes sense, right? It seems like a logical conclusion to come to if we just take it at face value. But again, the chicken little that exists in this passage and that exists in our hearts is that we're not taking it at face value. Truth is something that has to begin to intrude inside our lives that directs our understanding of circumstances versus circumstances directing our understanding of truth. You see the difference? 
So here's what happens in the chicken little moment, I think, of what happens in the nation of Israel and in the church at Rome and even in our own hearts. We have a current situation and experience that causes us a very jolting concern and we begin to panic. And I think there are four things that take place in our hearts. Our emotions get twisted. Fear makes its way in. Concern, frustration, a worry, anxiety about the character and the nature of God. Our emotions get all twisted up. And then it creates a level of fragile relationships. How do I think that that's the case? Well, I think that somehow in some way, when we get so worried about the events in life, we look for allies. And those who don't line up on our side we don't necessarily want anymore. And so those relationships become conditional. Four, I think it's easy to be open to deception. Not only does chicken little exist in our hearts, but foxy loxy exists in the world. We call him Satan. <laughs> and he has a lot of minions. But there's a deception and a distortion that exists regularly looking for opportunistic times to confuse us and lead us to places that we know are not of God. And yet our hearts, when they're in the mode of panic, would trust a foxy loxy above the truth of God's word. And that's where Romans 11 comes in. And I think fourth, what ends up happening is there's deadly outcomes. So let me give you a first suggestion and then dive into the text. The first thought that I think Paul is getting at here is that a wrong view of reality is both deadly and dangerous, or dangerous and deadly. The dangerous comes first. I think that what ends up happening when we look at our circumstances, our environment, and the challenges that we face in this world, there's a sense in which there are numerous things that have jolted us in our lives that don't make sense. We literally look at the things that are going on and we say to ourselves, something doesn't line up. I don't get it. And then what ends up happening is we're moving to the place of having to force God to explain himself and saying, well, if this doesn't make sense, God, you need to make it make sense or I'll make it, sense for, I'll make it make sense for you. The chicken littles in our lives are prone to panic. And I think that that's what ends up happening in Romans 11. You get a sense and a nature that Paul is trying to allow the church at Rome and even us and in, our, in and of ourselves as the church at Park Springs to be directed by truth, not by emotions. Because let me give you some indication of what I think is possible, is that our current experience is a terrible view of reality. <laughs> you and I are not the best assessors of what's really going on. We've got skin in the game. <laughs> we want the interpretation of what's happening to allow us to be the one that decides the reasons and the whys of what's taking place. And so when something doesn't make sense, we feel like we can put God on the throne. We can ask him. We can uh, prosecute him. We can ask him the questions where he has to defend himself, which is Romans 10. Romans 11, Paul moves to a very different tack to help explain the situation. And here's the question that he asks. I ask then, has God rejected his people? Emphatically, Paul says, by no means. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people who he foreknew. So now you get this situation where Paul begins to defend the truth of God's faithfulness in a very unique way. And here's what he says. You know when Chicken Little rests inside of our hearts and we begin 
to panic and worry about the character and the nature of God. And the nation is worried about whether God has been faithful to them. And the church is wondering whether God is faithful at all. Paul says, this is an easy one. Look at my life. I'm a Jew. God saved me. And by extension, undergirded in this text, Paul is saying, look, I'm, I'm an Israelite. I'm in the tribe of Benjamin. And the extra extrapolation from that is those who are asking the question are those who are actually saved as well. Jews within the context of the church at Rome who have believed that Jesus is the Messiah have been and are being transformed by the truth of who Christ was. Their story of what God has done in their life is an indication of the faithfulness of God. And he's saying, look, look at my life. Like you would say God's not faithful because everyone's not in. All the people don't get saved. That there's a, a, a section of those who are Jewish that have, have become hardened and not convinced of the character and the nature of God and as he works himself out through the Jesus Christ and the nature of the gospel. That Jesus is the promised Messiah, the one who does and is saving. And, and so what Paul says is, my life is a defense of the gospel. Look, I'm, I'm a Jew and I've been saved. So certainly God is faithful. But he's also saying that to them. Your story is an indication of the faithfulness of God. And so he begins to personalize it in a very significant way. And he, he wants them to know and wants you and I to know that one of the things that ends up happening when the chicken little takes over in the context of our lives is that we tend to forget about the chronic, persistent faithfulness of God throughout our entire story. You, sitting here this morning, me, standing up here, we have been on a journey. God has worked in our lives in innumerable ways. And if there was a moment of pause when those jolting moments would happen, there would be a place of reassurance that the God who has brought us to this moment will bring us through it every time. Doesn't mean that hard things don't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't get bumps on the head. It just means that panic isn't the option because peace is what God gives us. Philippians, peace that what? Passes all understanding. So there's a peace through a relationship with Jesus Christ that's accessible to you and to me that doesn't make sense. Praise the Lord. Which means I don't need to make sense of all of the circumstances around me. I need to receive the peace that's given to me. That somehow, in some way, me figuring out all of the situations that have taken place so that somehow, in some way, I become the authority of whether or not they make sense misses the point. Because my heart is broken. My mind is twisted. My emotions are distorted. I need God to be the one that declares what is true to me. And here's what he's saying through Romans chapter 11 to the church at Rome and to you and me. That the faith in Jesus Christ is the source of our hope, that God is the designer and director of truth. Hebrews tells us that he's the author and perfecter of our faith, meaning that he's the one that's at work. And so the real question is not, how do I figure out everything around me? But the question is, is how do I trust the God who's living within me? That's a fundamental difference. And it's not as though we need to feel guilty that our faith is growing. That's the point. That if Romans 
is really the operating table of our hearts and God is cutting and moving in significant ways and taking away those things. One of the reminders is that God is inviting us regularly and daily to trust him. That he is faithful and always will be. That he's using this image and this communication about a nation that's freaking out because there are those who haven't trusted Christ. And there is legitimate worry about those things. But at the end of the day, there's a promise of what God is saying to the people at Rome and I think saying to you and me. God is always, always doing more than we can see right now. God is always, always doing more than you and I can see right now. How do I know that that's what he's getting at? Look where he takes us. He takes us to a passage in 1 Kings. And here's what he says as he moves through verse 2. He says, His God has reject, not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you know what the scriptures say of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. So here it is, right? We, this, is, this is Elijah's chicken little moment, right? He looks at this situation of running from Jezebel and there's this onslaught where his life is in danger, that there's almost an absolute certainty that he will be the one solely targeted. And his analysis of the situation, I'm the only one left. God, I've been faithful. I've followed you. I've loved you. I, I'm, I'm doing everything that I can and, and and this is what I get? I'm the only one left. There's no one else in the context of the entire universe that is faithful to you anymore. It's just me and you, God. <laughs> and you sit there and you think, yeah, chicken little all day long. Right, because he knows that that is not the nature and character of God. He's seen it. He took on the prophets of Baal. God consumed a drenched altar with fire. He absolutely has shown up every single time. Yet in this moment, when his life is on the line, his first reaction is, it's over. It didn't work. There's nothing else happening. I'm alone in this. Man, anyone can relate Anyone ever felt like that in the context of their struggle and their contention and their challenges? Anytime you have had those bumps on the head that don't make sense and you've said no one will understand. No one's got, I, I'm alone in this. And here's how God responds to Elijah's complaint, concern, and chicken little moment. God says in verse four, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if by grace it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. So here's what God is saying to Elijah in his chicken little moment. You have no idea what's going on beside your experience. And yet you're allowing your experience to drive your understanding of me and my faithfulness. And so God reassures him, I've got 7,000 people that have not bowed the knee to Baal. I've saved more than just you. I'm working in ways beyond what you can see. 
And yet, that same truth would be intruding into our lives with utter regularity. I mean, I think God would want to remind us of that very thing. There is so much more that God is doing than you can see right now. If you just get stuck or I just get stuck in my cave thinking that my circumstances and my experience are determinant of everything around me, I miss the fullness and the bigness of God, what God is doing globally. Like there's a larger picture that, that Elijah would have never expected that 7,000 people would be like him. He thought he was the only one. And yet, in the context of those things, God reminds him, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm bigger. I'm bigger than the bump on the head. I'm bigger than the chicken little panic. I'm bigger than Lucy Goosey, Turkey Lurkey, and Foxy Loxy. Like, trust me in these moments and know. But he also gives us an indication of the human heart. I want to read for you just a little, I think, great perspective that Isaiah gives the nation early on in Isaiah 29 verses 8 through 10, and it's not going to be up on the board, but I want you to hear how he describes a bit of the human heart. Verse 8 says this, And when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating, he awakes with his hunger not satisfied. When a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and awakes faint with his thirst not quenched. So shall the multitude of the nations be that fight against Zion. Astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. So Isaiah is giving us this very strong indication that there are appetites that live inside of us that drive our understanding of God's faithfulness. Let me just boil it down as simplistically as I can. When we don't get what we want, we freak out. I mean, that's what Paul's dealing with in Romans 11. And there's good things that we desire, right? A hungry man is hungry and he dreams of having that hunger satisfied by eating and he wakes up and it's even worse. And when you're thirsty and you go to bed and you dream of the very thing that you want and you pray for the very thing that you want and you don't get it, it's even worse. And so the question then is backed up, well, Why? Why even pray? Why even desire the good things that God has given us? At the end of the day, what Isaiah is telling the nation and what Paul is telling us here is that the deepest desires are only met in Jesus. Right? Christ is the source of our hope and our affections that in the process of those panic moments that are going to set in in all of our lives at numerous different intervals in places that we would not expect, you might walk out of this church this morning and get an acorn over the head. And yet God would want to continue to convince you of his truth with utter regularity. The very thing you think you want will convince you that if you had your desires met, then God was good. And that's not true. God is good and fulfills your heart with desires for him. There's a difference. That's the operating table is that what we end up looking at in self-awareness is that very thing. Here's what's going on. You want things from God, but don't want God himself. Boy, isn't that a confession of my own soul? Isn't that an analysis of my own heart? Yeah, there are times where I think God is awesome. And a lot of those times are when God gives me what I want. <laughs> when he withholds things from me or there are things that don't make sense, I'm not so sure. And so what becomes the source of my belief and trust in God 
is my feelings and not truth. So what Paul would want us to understand here in Romans 11 is that very thing, that God is always doing more than what we can see and that he's working in ways beyond what you and I can imagine. And so he finishes this text and up through verse 10, and, and uh, I just want to remind us of this very thing. Verse 6 says this, but if it's by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So it's not like we're working for God to work or somehow we're earning his favor by doing things, that we are all recipients of grace, God's intentional, undeserved goodness towards us that we could never merit and never earn, but we receive as those who have been rescued by his compassionate, passionate love for his people. That it's always, always been about grace. So he's telling the nation of Israel, that's true too. <laughs> it's about grace. It's God's active work in your life. And so here's what he says in the last few verses. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. Well, the elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. It is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. So Paul then begins to communicate, look, we find ourselves in a situation that is unsettling. There are people that are convinced that Jesus isn't who he said he was. And it's concerning because we know globally universally what that means, distance from God for eternity. And certainly that's a huge acorn that allows us to panic about what God's gonna do. And here's what he's saying. If he's always doing more than you and I can imagine, and then our feelings are a terrible analysis of, of the circumstances in God's character, that a wrong view of God is both dangerous and deadly, then the goal is to what? Remind ourselves of Romans 10. The Romans 10 would communicate to us very clearly that through the proclamation of the word, the preaching of the gospel, people are saved. That people come to faith in Jesus Christ through the proclamation, the declaration of the truth of God's word. And then people grow in their faith through the declaration of God's word. So either we're being saved, we're growing, and we have no idea who is going to come to faith in Christ and understand and hear? So what do we do? We, we preach. We communicate the truth of God's word because it's always been about grace. And I think that that's where he leaves us in this text. Grace is the only basis for rescue. Ever. Like, there is never a moment where God has put you in a situation and you've been hit on the head, and you begin to panic, where God is saying to you, man, let's just see how well they do. Let's see if they figure this out. Let's see if they find the right people and put the puzzle pieces in place so that they can understand more. And maybe as they grow in their relationship and they grow in the circumstances, they'll be better equipped to handle things in the future and ultimately they'll be better people down the road. Let me give you a truth that maybe you probably already know, but I think we need to be reminded of. God's not trying to create better people, just more dependent ones. It's his work because it's his glory. Imagine we got to the place where we actually felt like we were doing things really well. Wouldn't we then be glory thieves, right? Thinking that maybe we had actually figured this out? 
we dialed the combination just right. So we opened the lock of the universe and we're able to figure out things and life was easy and peace was attainable and we got all those things and we would get to that place in our walks with God. We're like, gosh, man, God, thanks, man, but I'm, I'm all set. I, I got this. God reminds us consistently that we don't got this. And the goal is not that we get it. The goal is that we've been invited into a relationship with him, that he is the source of truth and hope. Because I think the central part of Romans 11, 1 through 10 is this. Grace has always been the basis for rescue, ever. There's no other hope than consistently being rescued by the loving invitation of God's work in our lives. So in the operating table of Romans chapter 11, here's what I think Paul would want us to see. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, tend to panic. We get worried that chicken little lives and breathes inside of our hearts. We look for allies, relationships seem fragile. We feel like we have to perform or maintain some sort of image. And yet at the end of the day, the only hope that we have is the rescuing grace of Jesus. That we're not trying to figure out how to deal with the bumps on our head and solve problems that don't exist. The problem is simple. We need more Jesus. The situation and the invitation is one of hope. Jesus will always, always be enough because it's always been about grace, never about works. Would you join me as we pray? Father, we ask that I think for many of us, myself included, this week has been one where there have been moments of panic. Chicken Little has run the uh, authority in my heart, driven many of my decisions at times, at least at a bare minimum, has, has impacted my emotions in such where I feel like I have to do things to fix situations. And yet, the, the call of Romans 11 is to pause, to look at the story that you were writing and realizing that you were the author, not myself. That, that I'm not in need of answers to life's problems. I'm in need of a savior. And so I want to trust. God, give me a faith that surrenders to you. God, help me have that belief that you were at work even in the most uncertain and unpredictable of circumstances. Help me to see that the story that you're writing is worth being written. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.